life. The Bible describes it as abundant, powerful, and filled with meaning, but honestly, some would say, that's not the life they know. God feels far away, silent. Their life is mundane and unfulfilling, but what if God were close? What if life felt alive and full of power? This is a six-part series about the Spirit of God living in us. Yeah, look at the people who braved the rain and everything else. You're awesome. You should get rewards or something like donuts or cookies. We'll look into that, see if we can do that. Cookies for the rain, maybe. Start a little campaign. Hey, anyway, we are on part two of a series called God Within, and the entire series is built on this one passage out of Scripture that says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? The whole thing is built on this. Uh, This series is is helping us understand what this life looks like when God lives within, when he's not just afar, uh, when he's not just some statue or some thought or some philosophy, or even if you really have a good understanding of of the biblical God, but you still think he's up in heaven and just kind of looks down. God's got so much more for us, and that's what this series is about. I grew up in a church that really did give me an incredibly good understanding of who God was. Great theology, and and I had no problem understanding how I should live a life that would honor Him and glorify Him, but still, He was a God that was kind of far away. They never talked about how He lived within. They never talked much about the fact that we have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talked a lot about the Father and, you know, how you better live right because He's got lightning in His hands, right? You know, and how Jesus, He's the good guy and He came to save you. And, And they just never really talked about the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And so one day when I went off to college and and found a, a church that was talking about the things of the Spirit, it kind of amazed me. And at first it was incredibly encouraging because, you know, you spend all those days where you just wonder if God even hears your prayers. Anybody ever been there? You just, you pray and you think he's not listening. And then you have a bad day. You think he's not watching because he likes that other guy better. He was watching the other guy. You just, ah, too bad, you know, bad day. Oh, I didn't even notice. Sorry, Jimmy. Uh, sucks to be you today. You know, you just kind of feel like that's, that's kind of how God is on occasion. So when I discovered that God was here, there was never a day he wasn't paying attention to me. There was never a moment he wasn't with me. There was never a time he didn't understand how I felt. And he wasn't there to, to, to uh, comfort me and to guide me. And I mean, at first you're like, man, this is awesome. I even began to talk more in we instead of I. I don't know if anybody else did that or does that. But instead of like, what should I do today? I would literally, what should we do today, God? I mean, after all, everywhere you go, he goes. He's inside, right? Man, God, we need a parking space because seriously, hey, God, we need some help. You know, I mean, really, the more that you help bring him into your problems and make him realize there is problems, your life is going to get a whole lot better anyway, because you're not going to figure it out on your own. So at first, I'm like, this is amazing. Everywhere God sit in class, God, we really need to know the answer to this, don't we? I mean, I'm telling you all through, it was amazing right up until the moment where you do something that you're hoping God didn't see, and you realize not only did he see, he was there. He was part of it. And then you're not so excited anymore. You're a little bit scared. Like, wait a minute, this God that's within, this God that's always close, you mean he was with me at that party Friday? Oh, anybody else ever had one of those moments? You don't have to raise your hand. You ever had one of those moments? Keep your hands down. Keep them to yourselves. You see, God is within, incredibly comforting. 
but also a little bit scary when you begin to put the dots together. What is meant to comfort us sometimes doesn't actually turn out that way. My wife and I teach a life group every time we do life groups here, and it's about the Holy Spirit, who He is, and the life that we're supposed to have from Him. And every time that we get to this part, very early on in the group, helping people understand that the Spirit of God lives inside of you, and He's there to comfort you. He knows every thought. He knows every feeling. And, and, and man, He's just right there for that. I look around the room, and at that moment, I always see the eyes start, start to gloss over, and people start to get a little fear and trembly, kind of like they just came out of a, a haunted house at Halloween. They're having that look of, oh, crap. So when I had that little road rage moment that I thought nobody noticed, because I mean, there's 7 billion people, good chance God was paying attention to somebody else. When, when I was up late at night and surfing on the web and hoping God was like, you know, you, you, you tilted the screen on your laptop a little bit down so the angels couldn't see in from heaven and you, you realize he was actually here looking that way at the screen and you have, oh. And so every time I see in the group, they just begin to become a little more scared and, and, and I thought maybe I'm teaching this wrong because time after time after time, the people in the group are not so encouraged that God lives within them. And then one time I was teaching the group and there was this guy in the group, I won't call him out, but he's in the church and he's really one of the quietest, most introverted people that you would ever meet. And uh, he had never said a word in the group. He came week after week after week. He had never said a word until this moment. And he said one of the most famous things that I've gone now and written in the book and teach in the material I'm about to share with you. Really cool phrase, as best I can. I'm gonna try to quote it so I don't mess it up here. When talking about how God came and he's living inside and we need to you know, clean the house and be prepared for God, he said, well, you know, you're not a model home. God knows you're a fixer-upper. The Holy Spirit came to renovate you. And suddenly everybody in the group smiled. And I wasn't the one that said it. <laughs> but I stole it and I say it from now on. You see, that is comforting when we understand God, He knows. He knows. When He bought the house, He knew. I don't know if you ever watch any of those house shows on HGTV and, and people will literally say, no, 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 I want a perfect home. I don't want to do a thing. And then the husband's like, oh, I wouldn't mind a project. I'd uh, yeah, let's get a fixer-upper, you know? <laughs> And then secretly they catch the wife off camera. He's never lifted a hammer in his life. Although I love him dearly, we're not getting a fixer-upper. Here's the point. God got a fixer-upper. He knew what he was looking for. He knew what, and follow this because this is so theologically correct. He knew what he bought. On the cross, he paid for you. He knew what he bought. He's not surprised. I want to walk you through what I hope will be encouraging this morning from Scripture about the fact that God lives within, and maybe we can stop trying to pretend we've got it all together a little bit. So we're going to start. I just got really two passages for you this morning. The first one is out of 2 Corinthians and says this, says that we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, now catch this part, are being transformed. We're all being changed into the same image, that image being Jesus. And if you were here for part one, I explained to you that although Jesus was God, everything he did was not because he was God. The Bible tells us he willingly laid down his deity so that what he did, he did as a man filled with the Spirit of God. Because what he wanted to show us is that everything he could do, you and I could do. 
And if he could walk in purity, you and I could walk in purity because we would also be a man or a woman filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's the image. We're being transformed into the image of a man or a woman filled with the Spirit of God so that we look more and more like Jesus every single day. Doesn't mean you have to grow a beard because if so, I'm in trouble. I can't grow a beard. I have it shaved in a week. I'm just kidding. But if I had shaved, you wouldn't know. He goes on to say, transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. Meaning it's actually a natural progression that he intends. You are at this degree of glory. Jesus is over there at that degree of glory. And every day, one degree of glory closer. One degree of glory closer. As we begin to look more and more like him, look more and more like him. And we're embarrassed and we're ashamed of the fact that we're here, but we shouldn't be because it's, it's what he describes as the intent. He knows he's going to move us from this degree to that degree. And honestly, it, it, it's like a soldier showing up for basic training. saying, I'm embarrassed. I'm not a general. No one's a general on day one. No one. It doesn't matter who you are. George Washington wasn't a general on day one. And we get this idea that, oh, God, well, I've got to be perfect in the next 30 seconds. I've got to get it all together. No. From one degree to the next degree to the next degree, he knows what he's doing. But this is maybe the best part of the whole. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit that actually moves us from that one degree to the next degree to the next degree. It is God's plan to put his spirit inside of us in order to transform us. If you remember last week, I said it is actually God's plan A to have his spirit dwell within his children. The Holy Spirit is not an afterthought. And he proved it all along throughout the Old Testament, showing us we'll never be able to do this on our own. That was the whole point. So that when Jesus came, Jesus modeled for us, mankind living filled with the spirit of God. And then he said, I'm leaving. I'm going to give you something. You're going to do greater things than I have ever done. We have the idea that God sits in heaven and he judges and he just looks for a performance. He's watching and he's expecting this impossible task of us being good enough. Our son, our six-year-old son, Caden, our children's people right there, you guys do a good job. Because he, uh, yesterday, I've got a 16-year-old son. Maybe I need to send him to your room. A 16-year-old son didn't want to clean his room. It's a little bit of a, an effort to get him to clean his room and trying to connect the spiritual dots. You should, you know, you should be a good steward of what God's given you and you should honor your parents. And I mean, we go through all of this every time and still he picks up like two shirts and says, is my room clean? So my six-year-old son takes off running up the stairs as we're all eating lunch at the table and talking about before anything else happens, you're going to go clean your room. My six-year-old takes off and goes running up the stairs, gets halfway up, over the banister. We're like, what are you doing? I'm going to go clean my brother's room. Why? I want to make God happy. And we all do that, don't we? A six-year-old said, I want to make God happy. We go, oh, you know what though? That actually can mess a kid up because they spend their whole life trying to impress God. It's really, I, I mean, it's great. I'm glad. I'm glad that he has that heart. I love the heart that's in him, but I want him to understand he's already made God happy. He really has. He's God's son. He's God's creation. You can't do much more with it. My point, though, is, is we can sometimes get that idea that, that you, you, you got to do something to make God happy. God sits up in heaven, and he's got lightning bolts in this hand. And, you know, I don't know what you think about the whatever. He's got something that smack you on the head with a big bat or something. And you're just, I'm just watching. 
Let's see if you get it right. You know, that kind of thing. Like American Idol. Okay, now some of you may be just tuned in American Idol or, you know, you're teenagers. You had not been around since the beginning. When American Idol began, there was a judge who made the show. I quit watching the show when he was no longer on. His name was Simon. Who, who remembers Simon? Okay. Most of us think that is God. <laughs> no matter what you do on stage, it'll never be good enough. You are horrible. Your mom told you were good. Your mother's a liar. You know, I mean, that's the kind of thing. If you've ever watched Simon Cowell be a judge, I mean, and not only that, he comes up with the most creative ways to say that you stink at what you're doing. And we think that that's God in heaven. He is just waiting on you to perform. You got up on Monday. You went to work. You didn't kill anybody in traffic, but you weren't exactly happy about having to go to work. So God's only mediocrely happy with you. We think that he's like Simon. Wrong idea. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. You see, actually, the Holy Spirit came to live in us knowing the very mission that God had given him. You're going to live in a fixer-upper, and you're going to make it worthy for me. You, your sin, your problems, they're no surprise. He expected the mess. He got the home inspection report. All the flaws, all the sin habits, all the things that you hate about yourself and you feel guilty for. He came for those. He came buying this house, knowing everything that you'd ever done inside of it. He knows. He knew. And the good news, the good news. You see, we know that this is good news, but we also know there's some tension in it. How many of you ever heard the scripture that says, be holy because I'm holy? You see, when I first started learning this, I told you it was when I went off to college and a church that talked more about the Spirit of God began teaching this. And you get really excited about the fact that God lives within you. But our campus pastor was really good at talking about, you're the house of the Holy Spirit. Clean up the house. Clean up the house. Clean up the house. And we've heard these sermons. And, and it's true, he does, he does prefer a clean house. But what that does is it messes us up. Because I talk to people all the time. And say, you know, would you like to come to church? No, 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 I'm, I'm not ready for church. What? They're not even opposed to God. They don't even disbelieve in God. They, they believe in God. They want to worship God. They don't think they're good enough to worship God. Well, I got to get this together. Got to get that right. My wife and I, we're kind of fighting. I mean, I can't tell you the stories I've heard. I've talked to couples. Well, we're, we're going to get some marriage counseling. We're going to kind of get this thing under control. Then we're going to come to church. We got to get our act together before we come and see God. I've talked to people who, who would literally tell me I'm, I'm getting counseling and I've been dry for three days. And, you know, when, I, when I've been there a couple of weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to church. They feel like they've got to clean the house in order to get ready for God. But that's the trap of the enemy. Because you can't clean the house good enough ever. You will never feel good enough. You will always feel condemned. And then there are those of us, we just pop in on occasion. You know, somebody kind of drags you with them or they invite you or whatever the case is. And, you know, you, you walk in the door feeling guilty because you walk in the door knowing you didn't clean your room good enough before you came. And you miss the point. Trying to get good enough for God is a futile attempt. See, it's not about cleaning yourself up. Matter of fact, until you realize you have absolutely nothing to offer him, until you realize that you are completely unworthy and you will never be clean enough on your own, then you've completely missed out on His grace. You don't understand it or the depth of His love for you. He's done that. And He intends to finish what He started. He doesn't expect a model home. He just expects a renovation to begin when He moves in. 
which leads us to the second part, because you see, you can't renovate yourself. You can't. Try as hard as you can. It will destroy you. Works don't work. The grace of God is the only thing that works. I want to share this with you out of John 14. It's Jesus talking to his disciples. And to set the context, this is where Jesus is having a really long, extended, extended discussion with his disciples. It goes for many chapters in our book of John. And it ends with him praying over them. Uh, one of the greatest prayers ever. You should go and read that as well to know that that's what Jesus wants for you. And so this is part of the discussion where he's talking to him. And he starts with this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oh, great. There we go again. More rules. I mean, Jesus... I thought you were the one that set us free from all of the Old Testament rules. I mean, we had to, you know, do this with the cow on this day and had to go sleep outside the camp on that day and had to sleep in tents for this week, for this feast and, and all of this stuff and the rules. We could never keep up with the rules. We failed at the rules. And now here you are, you're about to go and you start out by saying, if you love me, we'll keep the rules. But look at Jesus' very next sentence. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper. You're never going to keep the commandments on your own. You're not supposed to. It's not something you can achieve. He's pretty aware of humanity. He created us and he watched the fall. He was there. He's been there every step of the way. Every story you read in the Old Testament, God was there. Never surprised at humanity. He knows. And so Jesus says, I'm going to ask for the, of the Father to give you a helper. He's going to be with you. We're going to actually call him the Spirit of Truth whom the world can't receive well because neither, neither sees him nor knows him, but, but you, you, my disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. See, the, the thing, though, this word helper at first is like, yes, I'm not on my own. The problem is I'm preaching to a bunch of Americans. And the word helper has a couple of synonyms that could be used, depending on which Bible you read is how it's translated from the Greek word. And so the helper is used commonly. Some other words are, are advocate, advisor, or counselor. And some of those words give each of us a completely different con connotation depending on what you've been through in life. If you've ever been sued, then the word advocate has a good meaning for you. Somebody who's on my side, because who knows whose side the judge is on. And those people, they're not on my side. At least somebody's on my side. The Holy Spirit is on your side. He is. And he's an advisor. And he's a counselor. The problem, though, as I said, I'm talking to a bunch of Americans. Let's be honest. Our culture simply does not promote such a thing. We prefer knowledge and independence. They are praised as virtues in our culture. We have the, the, the old thing where just men don't ask for directions, right? Now, look, some of you might be too young to understand this, but men don't ask for directions, See, because everybody has phones with GPS now. And so in about the last five to ten years, some of you don't understand this, depending on your age. But there was a time where your phone was actually a thing on the wall in the kitchen. It didn't go in your pocket. And the only way that it gave you directions was when you picked it up and you called, Hey, Bob, we're on our way to your house. Can you tell me how to get there again? Yeah, man, you know, go down Main Street and at the four stoplight, turn right. Uh, the street sign's kind of gone. I won't tell you what that is, uh, but there's a gas station on the left. And after you turn right, you're going to, after about three bends around the curve, there's going to be a pig farm. And after the pig farm, take the second right after that. All right, got it. Thanks, man. Y'all remember those days? <laughs> Praise God for Google Maps. 
I don't even know what I was talking about. <laughs> so back in the day, that's what I was talking about. Back in the day, men, you know, we like to be strong and independent. And we would start wandering down Main Street and never quite see the gas station. Or, oh, there is a gas station, but there's actually a street sign. So it couldn't be that one. Somebody fixed it yesterday and Bob didn't know it. Too bad. So now we're wandering around everywhere and we can't find the pig farm. And so your wife is saying, can you just pull over and ask somebody where there's a pig farm? And so we can turn it. But the, no, I'm not doing it. I've got it. I've got it. You drive back and forth. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about because that's who we are. We don't want to say we need help. We don't want to say we need guidance. We never want to tell somebody that we're in counseling. Seriously. Because we think that it's better if we've got it all together. If we're strong. If we have all knowledge. If we've got all of this figured out. Admitting that you want or need counsel or guidance is simply not praised in our culture. Listen to this. Most of us are losing at the game of this Christian life. Because we've turned a team sport into an individual competition. You are never meant to win alone. Never. And you're losing because God himself lives inside of you on your team and you're not paying attention to him. You're not acknowledging him and you're not depending upon his help. And when we figure that out, actually it starts to be fun. Turn off Google Maps and say, Holy Spirit, which way should I turn? I'm serious. Cool stuff happens. You may not end up at Bob's house, but you'll end up at somebody else's house. And they needed prayer. And you had no clue about it. Life. You see, the attempts for us to be holy because he's holy, because we want to clean up the house, leads us to an incredibly unhealthy approach. And I think there are three different types of people I've run into that have tried to be unhealthy and they're cleaning themselves up. The first one is, is the people who just pretend. You ever met some of those people? Don't look over at them right now. See, here's the thing about pretending you've got your house all cleaned up. Usually nobody's fooled. Everybody around you knows that you're fake. They know what you really do. They got in your car. They looked in the glove compartment that time when you said, oh, get out. Oh, oops, sorry, I didn't know that was, don't worry about it. That's a friend's. They They know. However, let's just be honest, a couple of you are actually good actors. And you're good at fooling people. But the problem is, even though you fool people, you never, ever fool yourself. And when you go home and you look in the mirror, you hate who you are when the show is over. You hate the fact that everybody thinks that you're really good. Everybody keeps saying, hey, have you thought about leading this life group? Have you thought about leading Sunday school? Have you thought about going on this missions trip? Because you look like you've got it all together, but secretly you've got this problem and that problem and you hate yourself for the problem and now you can't tell anybody you have a problem because they all think that you're one of the best people in the church. And you pretend. You hate yourself and you believe God hates you too. And you begin to think that since life is just one big show and everybody is fake, it's not really worth living. And you find yourself in a world of depression and despair that you can't comprehend. Maybe you're one of the people that actually tries to impress God. You believe you actually can. You, you kind of go like this in your head. Thank you, God, for saving me. I'll take it from here. Let me show you how good I can be. Appreciate you dying on the cross, but I'm good. Got it now. I'm going to go to church a lot. I'm going to serve a lot. I'm going to volunteer a lot. I'm going to have this thing all covered. You actually measure every single thing you do. You are tracking your church attendance more than the pastor. And just for the record, I don't, so you are. 
People tell me all the time, you see so-and-so? No, I didn't see so-and-so. Well, they were there today. Well, I wouldn't know. I don't see anybody past the front row. I mean, seriously, like I'm blinded right now. I don't know. You use a clock to monitor your prayer time. Was your prayer effective? Well, that depends. How long was it? Well, it's 45 minutes today. I know that's better than most people at church. God likes me. You count the chapters when you read the Bible. It's not about if you found anything that actually touched your heart or anything that's impactful. Just I read seven chapters in the Bible today. I prayed for 45 minutes and I go to church 51 weeks out of the year. I get to flu the others so God understands. See, the problem is that you're missing the entire point about internal transformation that the Holy Spirit intends to bring. And you become all about the behavior of appearance or worse, the behavior of appeasement. Thinking you actually can appease God? You actually can do enough good stuff after he's died on the cross to somehow make him happier with you? It manifests as religion and legalism and the sad part is God is never impressed with you trying to keep up with rules that he tossed out 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And people around you aren't either. The third group of people are the ones who actually are trying to be a model home. They're trying really hard. They think it's actually possible. They're not just pretending. They're not just putting on a show. They actually believe they've got it together. You see, a model home is supposed to be perfect. And, well, these people, they try. And if they're not perfect, they at least make a 99.5 on the test and they feel good about the fact that the rest of us made Ds and Fs. And they figure, at least with the bell curve, therefore they're now perfect. Here's the problems for those kind of people. First of all, you actually believe you are. You believe you are good enough. You believe you are perfect enough. You believe you are right enough. And it's called pride. And it's actually one of the stinkiest things in all of humanity. And while you think you actually have it all together, you've got the one thing that keeps you from having it together. You actually end up looking worse than everybody else with all of their problems. And because of your pride, it means that you don't admit the need for work. You see, when somebody goes house shopping and they move into a model home because they bought the model home. Oh, good, I'm glad this neighborhood is finished and everybody else got theirs. We want this one. We want the model home that's been decorated, that's perfect, that you guys did everything with. The problem with when you buy the model home is you look at your spouse and you say, at least we're not going to need to do any work. This place has it all together. And when you don't need to do any work, you become blind to reality. Your blind spots are something you're not looking for. And, and people around you, they can see the problems, but you, you don't see them. You're not looking for any work. Here's the problem with thinking you're a model home. My dad was a contractor. And so even when a home is perfect and custom built for you and you move into that home, there's still what we call a punch list, meaning things still are perfect and work needs to be done. And if that didn't get it enough, even if you didn't find it and put it on the punch list, because my dad was a contractor, he could find it. You may not see the problems, but God still does. We're not model homes. It just means you're ignoring your flaws and you're blind. And you'll expect all others to be model homes. I mean, after all, you did it. You got it all together. You go to church all the time. You do what you're supposed to do. You follow all the rules. Why can't everybody else? You always say, you're sorry. Why can't everybody else? You do this. Why can't everybody else? And you'll become one of those people who is critical and completely lacks grace. And again, nobody will want to be around you. 
And ultimately, you'll find yourself in a place where you are resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. After all, you don't need any help. He wants to work in you and he wants to work through you. But when you resist part of that process, you interfere with all of that process. And you find out God's not doing much through you either. You'll actually begin to believe that God is distant and powerless. And it simply is because you've never depended on his power. So what's the healthy approach? Thank you for asking. Since I said earlier, you can't do this without him. The healthy approach is that you can do it with him. You can do it with him. This is his intent all along. And so I just want to give you two little things to think about into how we can do this with God. The first one is engage the renovator. It's called an invitation. You see, I've got a staff that works here at Grace Life Church. And because I am the leader of the staff, I have the right to say to any one of them, could you come sit down in my office? I reserve that right. My position has given me that place. But that is not nearly the same as when one of them comes up to me and says, hey, Jimmy, I invite you to speak into my life. Anything you ever see, please address. The invitation is not the same as the right. I will exercise the right a lot more slowly. It usually comes with employee reviews and a little later than maybe it should have been. But after all, they have yet to invite me to be their coach. So they forced me to be their boss. Do you see the difference in that? You see, God doesn't want to be your judge at the end. He wants to be your coach and teammate along the way. You invite him. You say things to him like, I want to be more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, can you help out? I know one guy who took this so far, he figured if you and I have a first name, so does the Holy Spirit. And at the first time he said it, it was weird. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. Like, hey, Holy, let's go do this. Come on, Holy, let's figure this thing out. Like, what in the world is he talking about? He's just literally taking this thing personally. The Holy Spirit lives within. He's on your side. He is with you. And so it means admit your issues to him. First of all, he already knows it. But there is power to confession. When you look at the Holy Spirit and say, you know what? I've got a pride problem. Yeah, I know. All right, but thank you. (laughs) Let's do something about this thing. Be teachable. Be sensitive to his voice. Engage the renovator. And then second, be active in the renovation. Be active in the renovation. Too many people have this idea, well, I'm going to heaven and now it's just good until I get there. No, be active in the renovation. God did not purchase a model home, but he did purchase one he planned to fix up. He planned to do some work when he got you. And he sent his spirit to be a part of that. And then some of us resist the process. Some of us say, no, I'm good. I'm saved, I'm good. I don't need anything else, but we do need something else. My wife and I like HGTV, if you didn't know that. And one of the shows on there, there's a couple of different shows, and they're all called Crashers, Bathroom Crashers or Kitchen Crashers. It doesn't really matter which one it is. The point is that some guy will go to a a hardware store and find someone getting ready to do a project on their house, and he will promise that he's going to come be the professional. Follow this. He will be the professional, and he will pay for it. All you've got to do is show up and help. And that's what this process is we call sanctification. He's the professional, and he's paid for it on the cross. And he pays for it every single day by living within you with all of our imperfections and our impurities. All he asks is that we show up and help. Whatever he says, we'll deal with. If he points out unforgiveness, we start to forgive. If he tells us we're angry, we begin to work with him on that. We deal with our bitterness, our selfishness, our coveting, our greed. The list goes on. You see, and when you have conflict with somebody, 
That's just the Holy Spirit trying to point something out. I want to leave you with this. Most comforting thought I think I can give you today is right out of Scripture. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit of God helps us. God doesn't judge you for your weakness. He helps us for our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We don't even know how to pray for ourselves. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Follow this thinking. Living within us? Praying for us? That doesn't sound like a judgmental and angry God sitting up in heaven from a distance waiting to strike you. He lives within and He is praying for you. And He is working through you. And He is working in you. And He is working with you. Holy Spirit wants to be for you what Jesus promised. Your helper. Will you let him? I want to talk to those of you who don't have the helper living within. One of the things we covered last week was making sure you understand the Spirit of God lives in every single person who recognizes that Jesus died on the cross for them and has made him their personal Lord and Savior. Because the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit by many names. Spirit, Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ. You can't have the Spirit of Christ living in you if you don't recognize who Jesus was. And so all that I've said today is useless to you if the Helper has not been invited to take up residence in your soul. And I want to help you if you've never done that. If you're in that place today where you recognize, okay, I've gone to church and I recognize Jesus, He was a man. But today I want a spirit living inside of me. I want an internal transformation. I'm tired of feeling guilty that the house is not clean. And I'm tired of trying to clean it up myself. Both of those have been failures. I just want to help you. We're going to pray right where you're seated. Would you all just pray with me? Let's say something like this to ourselves, to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for giving me your spirit. I thank you that I no longer have to act that I can be real with you that you love me that you've forgiven me that you've paid the price that I owe I thank you for your love and mercy and today I have one simple prayer that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. If you would, let's celebrate with those people. Right now, if you would, stand with me. We're going to worship our God. He deserves our praise. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at Grace Life Church. Oh,